Welcome to the Truth In My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another day of Truth In My Days apologetics program. My name is Moses, and I'm here with John, Director of Truth In My Days Ministries. Our topic today is answering the claims that there are scientific errors in the Bible. Last time, we looked at three different alleged errors in the Bible, specifically to do with Jonah's whale, grasshoppers having six legs, and rabbits chewing the cud. By looking at the Hebrew text, we were able to explain these really well. Today, we will be completing the last part of our four-part series as we look at two more claims. So John, let's turn our attention to botany now. There is one supposed error here that critics keep bringing up. In one of his parables, in Mark 4:30 to 32 Jesus says this, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Here, Jesus says the mustard seed is smaller than all other seeds on earth. But as skeptics point out, that is incorrect. The orchid seed, of course, as you know, is the smallest, only one fifteenth size of a mustard seed. Begonia and petunia seeds are also smaller than mustard seeds. What are your thoughts on this? Well, if, if Jesus said that the mustard seed was smaller than all the other seeds on earth, that would be a problem, wouldn't it? Yes, that is the very point skeptics make. How can we trust Jesus about heaven and salvation if he doesn't even know about botany? That is a good question, and they do tend to hammer down on it. So then, how have Christian apologists answered that challenge? Generally, not well. They have proposed quite a number of solutions, uh, perhaps because no one of them seems entirely convincing or even convincing at all. What are these proposed solutions, then? One of them is uh, to say that the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds in existence, but it was in comparison to all the other seeds the Jews sowed in Palestine. So this is a common attempt. You'll see a number of apologists doing this, saying that when Jesus said all the seeds, he didn't really mean all the seeds. He meant all the seeds that the Jews would sow. Uh, but the skeptics happily point out that the passage doesn't say seeds sowed, smaller than all the seeds that are sowed on earth. Jesus actually said the smallest seed on earth, they say. And they say that the apologist is actually admitting that Jesus made an error here because they're trying to change what he said. Uh, a similar response is to say that Jesus was referring only to agricultural seeds since the parable is about agriculture. Uh, they latch on to the part where Jesus said it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and say, therefore, only herbs or garden plants are included. The problem with this response is that while mustard seeds do grow into a herb, it doesn't mean that all the seeds in view must also be for herbs. Once again, it requires redefining the meaning of the word seed. And the skeptic will again point out that Jesus said smallest seed on earth, not smallest garden seed on earth. So this really does not work. Hmm. Is there a better one? One ministry actually came up with quite an imaginative solution. Uh, they suggested that the mustard seed may have actually been the small seed in Jesus' day. Uh, they point to a 1998 study that shows that a new species of sunflower could develop 
in the population within 60 years or less, a new species could become fixed in the overall population. And so they suggest that, well, perhaps the species that we know of that have smaller seeds than mustard seeds didn't exist then. They've developed since then. That is a very imaginative solution. It is interesting. I like it. I think it's clever. Uh, but the problem here is that it is pure speculation. There's no evidence that these seeds, uh, these plants with smaller seeds than uh, the mustard seed didn't exist in those days. Mm, that definitely can be an issue. So are there any other solutions? Yes, there is another one you hear quite often, uh, but this one is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, basically, these apologists say, yeah, it's a mistake, but it doesn't matter because it's just a proverb. Jesus is just speaking proverbially, so he doesn't actually have to be accurate. Seriously? Wow, that's, that's just sad. I, I would agree with you on that. Uh, first, Jesus is not speaking a proverb here. A proverb is a story told uh, to teach a lesson. This is not a proverb, but you could say it's an analogy, perhaps a simile. And in it, he makes a propositional statement about the size of the mustard seed. He didn't have to do it that way. He could have said it as one of the small seeds. He could have said it's very small, and he could still get the same message across doing that. Speaking proverbially, as they claim here, doesn't mean that one can make any sort of error of fact, and it doesn't matter. Now, could you, for example, uh, imagine us saying, republics are shaped by the character of their first leader. The United States would have been a very different country if the first president had not been President Lincoln. And then someone points out that Lincoln was not the first president. And someone else responds, well, we're just making a point here. The point is still true. So saying that Lincoln was the first president is not an error. Do you think we'd get away with that? Hmm. Not, not, not really, because it is still an error. It is. It is. Uh, and yet that is the way some of our apologists go. One well-known apologist actually said, Nobody thinks that when Jesus says that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, Mark 4.31, this is an error, even though there are smaller seeds than mustard seeds. Why? Because Jesus is not teaching botany. He is trying to teach a lesson about the kingdom of God. And I don't see how he thinks he can get away with that. Of course, people say that this is an error, because there would be an error. And this is what the skeptics crow about. We cannot bluff our way out of it. I would completely agree. I mean, if you can't, as you said earlier, trust Jesus on earthly things, then how can we trust him on heavenly things? I mean, he's God incarnate. He should literally be able to know these things. So then what is the answer, John? If Jesus said that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds on earth, that would be an error, plain and simple. But he didn't say it. He didn't say it? What do you mean? Well, it's very obvious if you look at the original Greek text. The key sentence is this, quote, it is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. When it is sown on the ground, what ground is he talking about? Well, wouldn't that be the plot or the land he's sowing the seed on? No? Yes. In Greek, it's epites ges. The word gay can mean earth, land, or ground, depending on the context. Okay, interesting. 
when it is sown on the ground, it is smaller than all the seeds on earth. That's how you see the English translation. Now, on earth in the Greek is also epitheskes, the same three-word prepositional phrase that was just translated as on the ground. So why would we translate the same phrase that we just translated as on the ground as on earth here? I, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask the translators. I don't see any good reason to do so. I would think that epites gaze should be translated the same way that it was just translated. In fact, what Jesus actually said is, it is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the ground. He is comparing the mustard seed with the other seeds on that particular plot of land in view. He is not comparing it with all the seeds on earth. And so, no, he did not make an error. So when an arch skeptic says, when Jesus later says in Mark 4 that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds on earth, maybe I don't need to come up with a fancy explanation for how the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds when I know full well it isn't. That's what the skeptic will say. Uh, and in point of fact, it is not the smallest of all seeds indeed. And we don't need to come up for a fancy explanation either. We should simply trumpet the fact that Jesus never said it was the smallest of seeds on earth. It was only the smallest of seeds in that particular plot of land about which he was speaking. Well, that was a lot of good information. It seems like knowing the Greek will definitely help in translating the Bible over here and helping clear up a lot of these issues. Okay, so just one more. There is a supposed mathematical error in 1 Kings 7.23, which says, And he made the sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits, from one brim to another. It was completely round. The height was 5 cubits, and a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. So we have a giant bowl with a diameter of 10 cubits and a circumference of 30 cubits. And this is repeated in 2 Chronicles 4.2. Now, everyone who has taken math in school knows the circumference is equal to the diameter multiplied by pi, a constant equal to about 3.14. So if the diameter is 10 cubits, as here, the circumference should be 31.4 cubits, not 30 cubits. Skeptics mockingly claim the biblical author here was ignorant of basic geometry, and surely God cannot be ignorant of basic geometry. Yeah, I, I would say he is not created the entire world i think he knows how he created it and what form and what the final product is like uh, this particular charge actually is, is too clever by half it's uh, it's very careless and certainly any engineer would see through it immediately uh, circumference is indeed pi times the diameter for a dimensionless circle we're not dealing here with a dimensionless circle we're dealing with an actual three-dimensional bowl that has a thickness an actual bowl, okay, if you're going to give, you're going to tell you how to build one of these bowls, it has to have two circumferences, right? Because that has a thickness. So it has an inner circumference, uh, and then it has an outer one, and they're separated by the thickness of the bowl. Now, a diameter of 10 cubits does indeed give a circumference of 31.4 cubits, which means the outer circumference of this bowl must have been 31.4 cubits long. That 30, 30 cubits refers to the inner one then. Now, using uh, the circumference equal to pi times the diameter, we can then calculate what the inner diameter would have been. It would be 9.55 cubits. 
Uh, the difference between these two numbers, the 10 and the 9.55, uh, would be the thickness, okay? And it would be at each end of the diameter, okay? So the thickness would be actually half of that, 0 0.225 cubits. Now, there's some uncertainty about what was actually the length of a cubit in those days, but most commonly it's taken to be about 18 inches or 45 centimeters. Uh, in that case, the thickness of this C would be 0.225 times 45, which comes to 10 centimeters. Uh, which is about equal to another old Hebrew unit called the handbreadth. Uh, so if we are correct, the thickness of the bronze sea is one handbreadth. Can we check on this? Well, I'll keep reading in that chapter. Continue on from 1 uh, Kings 7.23 through the description of the sea. And what do we see at the beginning of verse 26? It was a handbreadth thick. So your analysis, I guess, is right on here. Well, so there you have it, folks. Uh, the skeptics love to try to undermine the Bible by finding scientific errors in it. Uh, and that's why you need good apologetics to respond. And uh, as we said in other programs, sometimes you need elite level apologetics. So we've seen that on some of these. What you find from in the standard apologetics books just is not going to cut it. It's not going to be good enough. Uh, but when you have, when you do this elite level apologetics, uh, you will find that the skeptics fail. They fail utterly. They've failed utterly so far, and I, they will not succeed in the future. Uh, God's word has no mistakes in it. Look at that. We've gone through so many different errors or supposed errors that the skeptics claim for it to be, and you've hit all of them out of the park. This is excellent. Thank you so much for all this information. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days program. Thank you, John, for coming on and showing us how amazing the Bible is and God really knows what he's talking about. Continue to listen to us the next time. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. Thank you.